This podcast is brought to you by Scribe, a financial content agency. Just because your financial company and what you do is complex doesn't mean your content marketing has to be. Scribe produces blogs, articles, website and product copy, ebooks, pitch decks, and white papers for everyone from late stage fintech startups to the world's biggest banks and financial brands. Visit us at the Scribe Online. That's www.thescri.be. This is Stream It or Leave It. I like it a lot. Looking for something to watch? You have my undivided attention. We break down the best of streaming TV. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So you can stop scrolling and press play. We talk, we hook up, I smoke them up, we watch TV. It's great. Uh, Tune in each week for our take. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. And now, action. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. And don't call me Shirley. Aloha! Welcome to Stream It or Leave It. I am Shindy, your flamboyant host with a dark secret. And I am joined today in the pineapple suite by entitled tourist Matt Sanchez. Aloha. And Jeff Coons. Pono. This episode, we take a trip to Hawaii to check into The White Lotus, which is streaming now on HBO Max. And Matt, this was your choice uh, as far as the show is concerned. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about it and what made you want to watch this? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is HBO's latest prestige series. And, you know, coming in the dark days of summer, which is usually dead end for television, it's I thought it was quite a treat. It's kind of a fantasy island meets The Shining in America in 2021. Three groups of privileged and spoiled American tourists spend a week at a high-end resort in Hawaii, and rather than getting away from their problems, they end up being trapped with them. There's a bit of an element of upstairs, downstairs, as we follow some of the staff, and as we find out in the first episode, someone doesn't make it back. Fascinating. I love the upstairs and downstairs element that you mentioned, because I wasn't expecting that with this show, but maybe you have a little bit more background on it, and you know, maybe that contributed to why you picked it for us this week. Well, I'm, I'm a bit of a sucker for HBO prestige content, as you guys know. I didn't see The Mayor of Easttown, and I heard great things about Enlightened, which was another show created by the creator of White Lotus, so I thought we should give this one a go. Now, the interesting thing is the creator and director of this series, uh, Mike White, he also wrote School of Rock, and you might recognize him as the wimpy Ned Schneebly, whose job Jack Black takes in School of Rock, which I was surprised. I had no idea that was, <laughs> that was him. But what's interesting about the show is that not only was it shot during the pandemic in a bubble at the Four Seasons, I think it was the Four Seasons in Hawaii, it was actually written in a matter of weeks. Uh, which makes it even more remarkable that it's so polished. HBO just said to him, look, it's a pandemic. We've got nothing. What can you do in a bubble? And he said, well, I've been thinking about doing something about people in a hotel. And he literally wrote it and shot it in weeks. So I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's brilliant. I actually didn't know that either. So it was a little bit of like art imitates life. Was he observing and then writing? No, I mean, they came in with the script ready, I guess. But it's one of those things where... There was just, you know, the first draft was the final draft. But I think a lot of the staff have actually described the situation where they arrived at this empty resort as The Shining in Hawaii because it was kind of a creepy feeling during the pandemic. And you're in this massive, beautiful resort with just, I guess, I don't know, 20, 30 people in it. So, yeah. Amazing. 
Fascinating. And yeah, the white lotus itself, it's such a, I don't know, I guess you could call it an exotic name given that it's based in Hawaii, or at least the fictional resort is based in Hawaii. And I don't know if anybody had anything to say based on the, not only the name of the series, but the resort itself. You know, he's also, there's, you know, without giving away any spoilers and one scene, one of the characters refers to the guests as lotus eaters. I think that's one for Jeff. Yeah, so the Lotus Eaters comes from Greek mythology and uh, describes this group of island people who feed on something called the Lotus Tree. And I don't think it's the actual Lotus that we're all familiar with, the flower that sort of grows on top of the water. But figuratively speaking, a Lotus Eater is a person who spends their time indulging in pleasure and luxury rather than dealing with practical concerns, according to the Wikipedia entry on the Lotus Eaters. So in Homer's Odyssey, uh, basically his men are kind of like, it might be another sort of trial reminiscent of the sirens, and that may, may be linked. I have to research that a little bit more, but they come across these people who are just sort of like living in apathy by feeding on on this plant that sort of anesthetizes them to, you know, reality in some ways. Well, you know, I think we might as well just go ahead and get into the deep dive because there's not much that we can talk about over this six episode series without giving away too many uh, spoilers. So this is the spoiler alert for all of you listeners out there. And if you haven't seen any of the episodes of The White Lotus, then now's your chance to go away, watch them, and then come back. So now that we're in the second part of the show where we're going to the deep dive, I mean, first things first, let's talk about this cast because that's probably one of the most intriguing parts of not just the cover image that's promoted on HBO Max. When you look at it, you see all of these stars, recognizable faces, and I'm wondering what what your first impressions were about that. It's an incredible cast, like you said, I think. Murray Bartlett is the obvious one, playing Armand, the resort manager. He kind of steals the show from the first scene that he's in. I had never seen him before. I'll be looking out for him in the future. Uh, Obviously, as his character kind of spirals out of control, and he has this little running uh, argument with Shane Patton, which is also very amusing. So, yeah, he becomes one that, that really is very fun to watch and... But, you know, but the whole cast is very talented. I mean, they've put together a really strong, really strong cast. I mean, Jennifer Coolidge is great in everything she's in. And Alexandra D'Addario, who plays Rachel Patton, she's usually just, a, you know, she has been accused previously of just being a pretty face, but she's given a, a pretty good role here to, to kind of develop a little more. So, yeah, so those are some of my favorites. Jeff? Yeah, I think Murray Bartlett is at the top. I think there's a lot of outstanding players here. Let's see. On the other end of sort of likability, I think Sydney Sweeney as Olivia plays her role like really effectively. You sort of have this intense dislike for that personality in some ways. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to the end to see where she goes and if there's any sort of like eye opener for her or penance or something. But the other character I'm really enjoying is, well, Molly Shannon's brief appearance there is like really good. I love her. She's perfect as Shane's mom, Kitty. 
Yeah. And Uncle Rico is not bad. I mean, John, John Greaves is not bad either. <laughs> I knew I recognized him from somewhere. And so this is Tanya McQuad's um, male suitor later on in the series. And it's so nice when he pops up because he just, it just feels like a breath of fresh air right? when he comes in. You're like, oh, who's this? I really like him. Yeah. He's so good. I loved the cast. I also think Steve Zahn is perfect in his role. I mean, he just plays like that anxious kind of father character. Olivia, Sydney Sweeney, she does deadpan, I guess, millennial zennial so well. <laughs> just like that bitchy character when her and Paula are both ganging up on Rachel's character in yeah. the pool scene. That's actually brilliant. That was one of my favorite scenes. And the whole scene of them discovering their drug stash was also... Uh... <laughs> pretty hilarious but on Steve Zahn as well it, it doesn't usually play this kind of characters as far as I remember he usually plays a nerdy type or a bit of a kooky type so it's really interesting seeing him I guess maturing into a, a father figure type role but yeah you're right he is pitch perfect for this perfect and the other character I you know you guys mentioned Shane Patton who's played by Jake Lacey I wasn't really familiar with his filmography but I just can't get over his his resemblance to like a young Tom Cruise. He's got mm. those like, you know, those perfect schoolboy looks yeah. and fresh face. Um, all American. All American, cute. It's just, just that perfect kind of look. And he plays that Shane character so well. So I just, you know, I love this cast. I feel like they did an excellent spot on job with this. So moving on from the cast, I mean, this show, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on the overall looks of this and of the show, you know, does it feel different from anything that you've seen before? Looks and sound. I mean, I know that we did an intro parodying some of the opening music, but I don't know what you guys thought of that. Maybe Matt, what did you think about that? I mean, the music is fantastic. You're kind of hooked straight away, I think, by the look of the show before even the first death arrives, which I don't even think you need that death to, to hook you into the show. You know, you're very quickly taken by the look, by the sound. The production design is perfect. The cinematography is really interesting. There's this kind of dark tone to it. There's uh, this anxiety that's set up by the look and the sound. The, the soundtrack is fantastic. And I was, you know, the creator requested music that give a feeling of tropical anxiety. Music <laughs> that makes you feel like there's going to be some kind of human sacrifice at some point. And they could not have nailed it more. I mean, the theme song is just spectacular. And for those looking for how to describe that, because I, I don't know how to describe music. I was reading it's been described as discordant flutes and steadily accelerating percussion layered with animalistic shrieks and heavy moaning. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was a very technical uh, yeah, interpretation, but you're right. It sounds like a regular Saturday night. Yeah. I feel like they were also trying to honor the instruments from obviously the culture and from from Hawaii in general. I don't know. I think they were trying to honor that, but then um, make it have that tropical anxiety feel, which is such a great description for it. Uh, you read that somewhere, right, right, man? Do you remember who the composer was? Yeah, the composer, I hadn't heard of him before. He's called Cristobal Tabia de Vere. Hmm. Mm. I will be looking out for him in the future. We'll put that in show notes. Cool. Jeff, did you have any particular first impressions on the look and the feel of the show and whether it was different? Yeah, I think the camera work plays 
intentionally to this sort of voyeuristic and claustrophobic contrast. What we're used to seeing in terms of like shows about Hawaii or movies about Hawaii, where there's this sort of romantic vibe or, you know, a sexy thing kind of going on. This sort of turns that around and puts it in contrast. And it's kind of like the contrasting conflicts between the characters, you know, it's like almost every white person has their counterpoint in another character. So I think it's really interesting how how the camera work sort of amplifies those conflicts. Well, and also, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, you know, actually, we could talk about maybe the credits later. Sometimes I find with some shows that I just skip them, but I guess first impressions, when you start this show, I don't know if it looks any different to you. I kind of skipped over them. I mean, I I get it, but uh, maybe it's a HBO thing, but I always find that with (laughs) HBO shows like Sopranos or The Wire... I mean, Breaking Bad was extremely short, so it's not remarkable. But with those shows, I always like to, because the credits really get you into that place. And these ones, the ones for this show, the credits are so beautiful anyway. And it's got that song and it gets in the mood. I can't help but watch every time. It's got obviously the theme of, you know, decomposing fruit, kind of degeneration, you know, loss of innocence. It's so it kind of really feeds into the themes of the show, you know, the corrosive aspects of tourism. That's what it says to me. So I think it's, and it's, yeah, and it's got that amazing song that I love listening to. <laughs> yeah, I usually watch That's credits. So interesting. Yeah, you know, unless they're sort of, they have continuity, like for me, game, the Game of Thrones credits, season upon season, they build on those as the story gets richer and deeper. And so I find those opening credits fascinating. And usually I will, but for example, like Mayor of Easttown, which is another HBO Max show. I don't know. I thought the credits were really slow. And so it's a lot of times I find myself skipping through it. But Matt, because you mentioned it, I went back and watched them really quickly. And this is an interesting reference because, you know, the opening credits are clearly the wallpaper of the resort. And there's that one scene when Kitty who's Shane's mom, uh, goes up to the the suite that they're in. She makes a comment, kind of like criticizing the wallpaper, which I thought was so interesting. So, well, That's a great comment because doesn't she say there's too much pineapple and they've been fighting for the pineapple suite for the whole week? And then, you yes. know, oh, it's too much pineapple. That's just beautiful kind of commentary and how ridiculous the whole situation and these people are i I love how they did that yeah right it's like there's nothing that's going to make them happy so cool all right well you know we are in the fifth week of this show and obviously coming up we have one last episode which is the series finale and there's a lot of open questions i don't know if you guys have felt through the the overall series as you've been watching if each episode has been as strong as the next i think like you said the first episode was was pretty fantastic it's one of the best opening episodes that i can remember recently it had just so much going on again even without the death and you get to see steve zan's balls i mean i wasn't expecting that one Yes, and they may or may not be his real balls. I don't know. I mean, nowadays they have all sorts of prosthetics, but I'm not going to, like, Google that. So I don't know. I can't comment on that either. But I think it was a great first episode. Apparently the death was inserted just as a little cheeky trick to keep people interested. The creator, Mike, has said that. 
I didn't think it was necessary because I was taken anyway. But I guess with a lot of people, having a mystery there is kind of helpful. And and I guess in the, in the by the fifth episode, when there's a botch robbery and when the guys go scuba diving, you're kind of thinking, oh, is this where the death happens? So I guess it kind of comes into play there again. But in general, I think, you know, I think it's just been, it's been a really great series. It has... It has slowed a little bit. It has lost a little bit of steam in the last couple couple of episodes. I felt a couple of the decisions mm. of the characters were a little didn't seem to fit the profile of the characters and what the choices they've been making. Like uh, Kai deciding suddenly to be a thief. You know how Belinda was being so heavy about the uh, the the investment in a spa. In, you know, in her conversations, when she's been so sensitive to Jennifer Coolidge's character's, you know, feelings, you could tell that she wasn't open to that. And she just kept pushing and pushing to the point where you think, you know, it looks like there's going to be a break here. But, you know, but I'm interested. I think there's, a, like I said, there's a lot to be resolved in the fifth episode. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think the fifth episode, this most recent one, was the one that I felt dragged on the most. All the others I've been watching pretty intently. And I feel like the episode before this one, um, in episode four, I feel like Mike White did a little bit of a different approach where he had really talented editing work. So he kind of seamed all of the scenes together where everybody's sitting down to dinner and there's like clearly like dialogue exchange between different characters. And they're all leading to obviously, you know, what's going on in the plot and revelations about characters and things like that. So but I do feel, yeah, I'm sort of ready for this all to be tied up. And I'm really curious to see how it all ends. And, you know, even despite the whole action, I guess if you would call it an action thing happening in this episode with the with the attempted robbery, I still feel like this was one of the slower episodes. I don't know, Jeff, what did you, do you have any thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of when I was sort of researching episode five, you know, Armand quotes from this Tennyson poem. And it brings in like sort of, I think, the main theme of this chapter and probably is going to tie up a lot of these things. So it's a little bit more of a a sort of like, who's going to go back and read the Tennyson poem? Well, I did. Um, (laughs) Because I think it has less to do with the Greek mythology than it does with the Tennyson poem, because it's like, there's also a chapter in Ulysses by Joyce that has the title of the Lotus Eaters. And that had to do with sort of the dulling effect of imperialism and unemployment on the Dubliners of that day. And so there's this sort of theme around between isolation and becoming a member of the, of a community. In this case, the maintenance of privilege, which you could see like Armand at dinner, sort of looking around at, at all of these people eating dinner. He's like, ugh, you know, I can't stand to watch them stuff their faces. Yeah, exactly. And it's all about sort of the maintenance of the privilege of people who inherited the spoils versus, you know, responsible correspondence with the rest of humanity, not trying to section it off and be distinct from, you know, like this class thing. That's so. a super deep take analysis. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's very interesting insight into, like Matt said earlier, kind of like this juxtaposition of upstairs, downstairs, right? Yep. It is a deeper look at who works at this resort and is expected to serve these guests and observe them and cater to their every whims day and night versus the people who are visiting and what their stories are about and what brought them here. So 
I mean, I, I think this opens up a lot more of these subversive and darker themes that the show is really, really trying to get at. So, you know, you mentioned privilege, Jeff and Matt, if you had any thoughts on that, like what other do you, what other themes did you think are worth mentioning here or that you saw maybe even metaphors for our society today? Yeah, I think it's it's all of the above. I mean, it touches into all these things, imperialism, general modern anxiety. It goes a little bit into toxic masculinity. The white privilege is all over, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, it goes in quite specifically into reparations, which is quite interesting, you know, like excusing the theft of the of the family jewels as basically reparations for the damage done. And Kai tells Paula, well, they didn't do anything to me. And she refers, well, but their people did. So that really gets into the crux of reparations. So I thought that was really interesting. That was very direct. You know, on a lighter note, I agree with you, by the way, on all of those themes. And there is, it's that divide is clearly there. And, you know, in the beginning, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but Paula's character slowly goes from being an ally of the Mossbachers. And as the episodes move on, you sort of see her turning against them. Absolutely. Obviously because of her relationship with Kai, but then also because of her relationship with Olivia. And it's clear they've had a rift because Olivia has stolen, I guess, the affections of somebody that, you know, that she had liked before. So it's like, uh, she says in one episode, everything I have, she wants. And so that directly speaks as a metaphor to what you're saying, you know, what has been stolen from them. I mean, on a lighter note. Yeah. I think Nicole Mossbacher's character is a total commentary on these like all powerful CEOs that we're seeing nowadays. I don't like that term, but it's these <laughs> ultra strong women who are like leading the families. And so it's definitely, I think, a parody of like a Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop type of business or like a Jessica Alba and Honest kind of business where they are running the ship and all their family members are just sort of all around them. So I don't know if you guys saw that or what you guys thought of that. I thought there was also a good interaction with a little critique of clickbait journalism, that little conversation between, you know, Connie Britton's character, Nicole Mossbacher and Rachel Patton, which is a great little scene where Alexandra Daddario really gets stuck into her character and insecurities. And, it, you know, I think they get go into the nature of some of the journalism that's out there at the moment. And that's part of the conversations that she has with, with Shane as well. And I thought it, was, it, was, it wasn't a bad dissection of a lot of what's out there as well. I agree. And also going on that theme with, you know, here we have this very successful white lady in Nicole Mossbacher's character. But then you have Belinda, who's like desperately trying to get funding for her own business and trying to get a leg up in life. And the only person who's able to give it to her is Tanya McQuad, um, who is another rich white lady. So it's just it's, the commentary is so obvious and so there. And it's it's definitely that metaphor for what you guys were talking about as far as white privilege is concerned. Final note on here, I just love Amon's quote when they're first receiving the guests on the island. And he uh, says, you know, we got to play a little bit of tropical kabuki, you know, disappear behind our masks, create an overall impression of vagueness that can be very satisfying, where they can get everything they want, but they don't know what they want. <laughs> that was an amazing quote, I guess. I just wanted to, to bring that out because I just thought the uh, Amon at the beginning was just incredible. And maybe tropical kabuki is what this is all about. Yeah, it's definitely a lesson in customer service, right? 
I mean, you, you kind of have to put on your mask and be smiling all the time, despite the fact that you, in a way, hate your customer. <laughs> I've enjoyed just about everything about this. It's just really well put together, which is incredible given how quickly it was thrown together. Just lots of great little scenes. I'm loving the the dynamics between all the characters. Uh, they have, you know, not, not a huge amount of characters, but on a short amount of time, they've managed to create lots of interesting dynamics between lots of characters. So every time a different character runs into another one, they have their own little dynamic that you, you can always expect a little exchange and something that's developing in some way or spiraling out in some way. So it's it's just very satisfying. You just sit back and it always seems to go in an interesting direction. But in general, yeah, Aman is the character I'm enjoying the most, even though, and this might go into my hang-up, I kind of feel like we need to know more about his background. I kind of feel like it's kind of superficial. I kind of need to know where this darkness comes from. Hopefully there's a little more. If there isn't, it was still really great fun, but I kind of hope there's a little bit more to to him than just this guy who's apparently out of control. I feel like he could have his own spinoff. I mean, just his character alone is so fascinating. <laughs> well, they're so. talking about maybe doing a second season. Uh, yeah. So I guess, you know, you could say, well, you, you follow these characters back in the mainland or you get a new crop of people into this hotel. Mm-hmm. But will will Aman still be there? Will he still have the, his job by the end of the show <laughs> or his life? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, Jeff, I don't know. What, what are your favorite parts of the show so far? I really am enjoying how, and I'm surprised at, at how it was put together after Matt telling us how quickly it was it came together, uh, how sophisticated the themes are, and how how the metaphors of privilege and colonialism being broken down into it's it's almost like there's one character sort of struggling with their identity, and we're getting different facets of it through various characters but it's all sort of the white conversation right now and 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 each character is sort of illustrating that uh, a facet of that conversation it's super sophisticated and plus the unconscious struggle to sort of get free of these things and and find peace or satisfaction in seemingly the wrong ways you know it's just fascinating i love the just the richness of the characters. And if you think about it, all of the female characters, regardless of minor or major character, they're all experiencing like a pretty significant representation of what it means to be like a woman in society. You know, you have like a woman giving birth, then you have like girls at a young age and you know how they're influenced. You have the woman CEO, you have women trying to like make it in business. You have a woman who's kind of like in the very late stages of her life and she's like fucked up and going through some serious issues with her dead mother. And so it's just a great representation of like a vast spectrum of female characters and lead roles or even, you know, like the minor role in Lonnie. Well, speaking of Lonnie, I wanted more Lonnie. She was Uh. really good. (laughs) <laughs> I really like. Like, what happened to her? She had a baby and to... she was gone. I know. <laughs> well, I know. We know that Armand sent her flowers, right? Even though he couldn't remember her name. <laughs> 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 remember that? Like, I, I agree. She was such like a funny character. She had sweet. such a demanding. She had a big chunk of episode one. Yeah, I think that might be one of the hangups. Is that the downstairs part of upstairs downstairs is kind of taking a backseat. At the beginning, you had Armand, who's 
who is downstairs, but really he's a public face, so he doesn't really qualify, I think, as downstairs. So you had Lani giving you that side of things because we never really got to know any of the, the staff. You know, you see a couple of faces a couple of times, but you don't learn anything about them apart from Kai. So when Lani stepped back, it really kind of took away something that I was hoping they were going to develop a little bit more. So I think that would be, I think, like Jeff, I think Lani in particular was great and just having more of that side of it. But I guess in six episodes, there's only so much you can address and the main themes are, you know, portrayed through these horrible individuals. Yeah, very interesting. I don't know if I have any particular hang-ups. I feel like, you know, I've been watching the show, everything's sort of been presented. If anything, you know, we already talked about this, but just the weirdness of the of this most recent episode um, and, and Kai all of a sudden deciding to be a, a, like a criminal <laughs> despite being good all of his life. So... And Paula not even calling him. I mean, I guess that might be saying more about her, but well, you know, she I guess she's not that bright or she doesn't care that much. She texted him after. Well, yeah, but as soon as the boat trip is ruined, she should have been, oh my God, he's about True. to go in there and texted yeah. him and called him. But maybe the staff don't have cell phones, but that was never addressed. So I don't know if she's just silly or she right. just doesn't care. Why didn't care. she warn so that, him? Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally just, get it. It might be a little bit just contrived. It might be the answer to that. Yeah. But. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I agree, you know, there uh, there was a bit of a disconnect there. Like, why didn't she warn him? Hmm. Uh, who, who do you guys think, going back to the very first episode within the, you know, opening minute of the show, somebody dies. We know this. So who do we think it is? I think we should. I think we should bet on this. Yeah. yeah. Who's your money on? So let's see. Uh... I feel like it would be a minor character. You know, they, they teased it in the first episode to make us think that it's a significant person, but I don't... That would be disappointing, wouldn't it? I know. I feel like the person who might seem makes sense is maybe Tanya. Maybe she loses it. Oh. And I don't know, but I think it's somebody even more minor than that. I don't want to think it's any of the Mossbachers. <laughs> you don't want to think? Well, why is I that? I don't... <laughs> You're particularly close to them? (laughs) No, I just don't see any reason. Yeah, like why? I'm trying to think about their character arc and whether that would make sense. So I don't know, Jeff, do you have any? I don't know. It's hard to say. Like if, if, if the mom, if Molly Shannon had left in episode five, I, I would guess her. Somehow, well, well, she, we her. haven't seen it. We haven't seen her leave. We haven't seen her leave. She said, "I'm going back to my room. I'm leaving tomorrow. Maybe she sticks around, which her character could do, or maybe she has an accident overnight." But I think that Shane would be a little bit more depressed at the airport if it was his mother. I agree. I think he would be sobbing uncontrollably if it had been his mom. Yeah, possibly. I, you know, I almost thought for a second it could be Rachel. But again, because he's alone, but he, I, I think also he would be much more, he would be like sobbing and more sad as well. So who knows? It's a mystery. I, I have I, a guess. I have I have a little yeah. tip. Uh, your, your buddy, Greg, who had a coughing attack. Oh, good point. That could have just been an excuse to get out and not having to have any conversation yeah. after sex. But uh, maybe that could be a little, maybe he's got something going Ooh. on. Yeah, like what's wrong? He doesn't look very healthy to me, <laughs> even though he's swimming, doing lap swimming. He looks a little shriveled. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
that's not nice. I'll take it back. Yeah, I don't know. It's a mystery. I we could also make predictions about what happens to the rest of the characters. I mean, with like a simple roll call, yes or no. Do we think Armand gets fired? What do you guys think? Yes, no. 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 Hmm. It'll work it out. Yeah, I agree with you guys there. And we need a season two with him. Do you guys think Rachel and Shane, do you think they break up? Yeah. Do they get divorced? Yeah. Yeah. The airport situation kind of confirms it. Yeah, of course. Oh, that's right. Because he says she's not here, right? When the no, he doesn't are... say anything. She's just not there and he looks pretty miserable. So I think uh, he's miserable yeah. because she left him. and Because mm-hmm. of the yeah intimation, like, I think I made a terrible mistake, is her quote. Because of his general horribleness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Because he's, he's awful. What do we think happens? Anything specific with, like, the Mossbachers? Anything... I think Quinn becomes a, a rower. <laughs> Quinn doesn't um, come back. He joins those guys and he's rowing around. I, you know, I love that. He seems like he's coming out of his funk. Yeah, I really like his, I like his that. arc. Yeah. There's a lot of weak male characters. Hopefully he does something for, for the guys and becomes a, a good man. Yeah, I think he's struggling over that. I think it's a good commentary on like what happens when you put down the phone. You know, it's like you discover things because he was pretty much glued to his video games the whole time. And it was when he lost his devices that he was able to do something more physical and find like a like a tribe. Yeah. Literally. So a little divine intervention for him. Yeah. Do you guys think Belinda? Do you think she what happens with her and Tanya? Do you think she gets the investment? I think she does in the end. Possibly. (laughs) Yeah. Tanya? Yeah, or do you think simply. she leaves and starts her own thing? <laughs> mm. No, I think I think I think they'll work together in the end if she's still alive. Oh, true. <laughs> if yeah, that's still if alive. Tanya's yeah. still alive. Mm. Okay, cool. Or maybe she gets her will. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Anything else? I don't know. Are there any like wild card things out yes. there that we haven't talked about that you guys want to mention, Jeff? So in Buddhism, the white lotus is a symbol of the journey from muddy depths, because the lotus flower actually grows, starts off in the mud. It's the furthest flower away from the sun in terms of its growing. And it's the mud sort of represents materialism and selfish emotions. And, and this white lotus symbolizes the growth into nirvana or supreme enlightenment. And so I feel like both the resort and the guests appear like in this like false nirvana you know they they're like on top right in terms of in terms of success and money and all of those things but you can see in the desperation and their own self-righteousness they don't seem to be moving but the most important thing to see about the lotus flower is that it's growing in the mud so the mud isn't sort of this finality or you know evil thing that it's never going to be realized you know the flower is always there in potential so that's kind of my my thoughts about the whole show, really, in general. Wow. Uh, I was not going to go there, but yes, everything he said. <laughs> <laughs> what he said. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, I thought it would be fun to kind of think about which of these characters you are closest to. Like, in terms of if you were one of the characters at the White Lotus right now, who would you be? And why, of course. So... Matt, I'm so curious. Who do you think you would be? 
Well, in a very superficial kind of level, uh, I <laughs> yeah. guess I might be accused perhaps on occasion of being a little bit perhaps like Shane Patton in not letting go of little things. Something I'm working on, but, you know, I do struggle sometimes to uh, to let things be when there is something unfair happening. I think it comes from a good place. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, fairness, I guess, you know, journalists are seeking the truth and fairness. But uh, yeah, I guess sometimes it, sometimes it might perhaps come across as a little bit petty. Was that like looking into a mirror when you were watching Shane? <laughs> the first time he went back to the guy to complain, yes. But then oh, after okay. that, I, I would have let go and enjoy my beautiful suite because I am very humble when it comes to that. I also really like his terry cloth shirt that he was wearing in uh, episode four or something. It was a weird kind of oh, Hawaiian yeah. kind of... Kind of towely Hawaiian shirts. So. Towely shirts are great. They're so comfortable. Right? Yeah. I don't have any. I need to go that way. Cotton terry is what it is, the material. Oh, yes. so Okay. A little bit of personality similarity, but then also a bit of a sense of style that you... Fashion jealousy. <laughs> I mean, if I had to look inward, I think I'm a little bit of, I think, Nicole Mossbacher, because I hate to be accused of being one of those like very authoritative businessy kind of women but yeah i you know workaholic sort of is the organized one people look to her to just like solve problems but then also i think i'm a little bit of rachel in regards to i guess having like humility and being afraid to speak up at first but then when you do you sort of redeem yourself in a way so i love that as we see more of her, she's realizing the mistakes that she's made and she's speaking up. So I'm really excited to see what happens, you know, to her in the last episode. But I do think if I had to put myself in the white lotus, I would, I don't know, it's hard to pick, but I feel like I, I could be both of them, really. I don't know, Jeff, <laughs> what do you think? Who, who would you be? I would be Belinda and Tanya. A little mixture there. Powerful. Belinda, for her um, sort of interest in the spiritual and her desire to sort of see others succeed. And and also Tanya, from the standpoint of just sort of blurting things out on occasion and letting the (laughs) chips kind of fall where they may and and sort of letting the universe sort of have it, right? (laughs) Nice. I like that. Yeah. Cool. You know, I think super introspective, comprehensive discussion i think i know what you guys are going to say but jeff stream it or leave it for our audience super stream it (laughs) (laughs) super stream it nice matt very much stream it i agree i think it's definitely worth streaming excited to see what happens in the last episode and of course what happens for everybody perhaps there's a spinoff perhaps there's a season two who knows but Definitely recommended to stream it. So before we close, we also, for our listeners, we like to share a little bit about what else we're watching and why. So, you know, we have limited time each week, but somehow we still manage to watch other streaming TV and films. So Jeff, what else have you been watching aside from White Lotus? Yeah, HBO Max has put up Rachel Dratch's Late Night Snackers. That's how I like to say it. Oh my God, I love her. It's actually Late Night Snacks. I love her. And she doesn't, she only briefly appears in the episodes that I've seen so far. She's just doing the little bumper skits in the middle between the actual comedy skits. So it's a skit-based comedy show. Pretty funny. 
I don't know anybody that's on it except for uh, Tiffany Haddish is the only person I recognized uh, at all on this show. I'm sure if you guys watch it, you'll recognize a bunch of people, but her and Rachel Dratch. But Rachel just does these little waitress skits, like she's the head waitress at some diner. And it's so cool that she's got this. I, I haven't seen anything about this. So I'm just glad that she's got her own comedy special because she's yeah. awesome. And she doesn't speak wow. like there's no talking or anything. She's just doing these like m- mugging at the camera, basically. She's got awesome expressions, though. Yeah. <laughs> I've been watching also on HBO Max. I watched I caught that Woodstock 99 documentary, which I can't figure out if it's like got multiple episodes or if it's just that one. But if you guys get a chance to watch it, it's super fascinating. I almost forgot about Woodstock 99, but it's basically a peek into how the festival was just total madness and really had no oversight. It was basically like a fire festival, but it happened, but there was, you know, it turned into this crazy rage-filled event with young men, late adolescent, and there were multiple cases of sexual assault happening. Wow. And they didn't... So it's it's interesting because I remember kind of that time period, but you didn't hear so much about it. And, you know, they, like, the attendees, like, burned down some of the stages on the last day. And so people got really violent. And so this documentary is more talking about those particular events. And then I don't know why I've been watching these like really creepy, crazy things, but on Hulu, there is a, I believe it's a six part documentary called The Devil You Know, which is also about this like so-called Satanist serial killer in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Super fascinating. And I I watched it only because I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. So Winston-Salem is like an hour and a half from Charlotte and a very, very interesting character study you know, about a Satanist in the Bible Belt. And uh, it's it's ends up being more of like a societal commentary. So anyway, Matt, what else have you been watching? Uh, those sound great. Uh, I'm going to check those out. It's so good. I haven't, I've been enjoy, I've been dipping back into films again after a long period of just doing a lot of series. And, you know, I've started going back to the cinema over here. The cinemas are, are back open in Florida. But so I did catch The Suicide Squad. As you know, I'm a bit of a fan of superhero movies. However, I'm, I think I'm pretty critical. And I was quite surprised that I really, really enjoyed this one. The first Suicide Squad was horrific. And this was just really well put together, directed by James Gunn, who directed the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. It's very quirky, kind of dark sense of humor. There's a lot of a lot of blood, but there's a lot of great skits, great comedy. And it's just these this collection of random characters that somehow, you know, in the space of a movie, you do get to care and uh and they just go on a very straightforward mission, but it's just very well put together and it looks amazing. And it's just a lot of fun. It just never lets off. So I recommend it if possible in the cinema because it's definitely made for the big screen, but you can stream it on HBO Max. And I also caught Val, the Val Kilmer documentary that's on Amazon Prime. I started that one. It's yeah. had some good some good word of mouth. And yeah, it's really enjoyable. It's uh, quite emotional, really well put together. It's it's insightful. I do learn a lot about him that you didn't know. A lot about his current condition that I wasn't really quite aware of. A lot about his kind of sense of humor and his quirkiness. And there's just a ton of great footage because he 
basically was shooting film his whole life from his childhood behind the scenes of every movie he was in. So there's, there's just tons of great footage. So it is insightful, but it is possibly just a little bit limited. It doesn't quite delve into his darkness fully. It kind of creates excuses for his behavior, which is famously could get quite dark on film sets. Uh, he talks about his regret of not getting the roles that he wanted, but you wonder, well, you could have maybe looked for those a little bit more, I guess. Mm. So it leaves some things open, but it's definitely a good watch for for film fans, I think, Very for sure. Cool. Thank you. I mean, I, I, yeah, I will probably finish watching that one. I think I just started it. So, and and also, it's his son who narrates, right, on his behalf. Yeah, Jack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because Val um, Kilmer's voice is shot. Yeah, yeah, he had like advanced throat cancer, and now he's got one of those devices. So sadly, but. Thank you guys for those recommendations and thank you to our listeners for sticking with us. Obviously the season finale of the white Lotus is coming up. And so we're excited to see how it all ends. Thank you for listening. See you next time on stream it or leave it. Aloha. Bye. That's our show. Are you not entertained? What did you think? Pretty, pretty good. Don't forget to subscribe and find, like, and follow us on social and on YouTube. We don't have faces for radio. Promise. You can't handle the truth. You can also find our show notes on Substack at Stream It or Leave It. See you next time. And thanks for tuning in.